0: hello everyone this is the hearsay podcast my name is saya and this is episode number 84 it has been quite a long time between podcasts and I do apologize for that uh, but life has been super duper busy but I do have some news before I introduce my amazing guest since the last podcast which you know was months ago I have released two singles. Now, a person with their shit together more probably would have released podcasts around the time too and told you all about the singles as they were happening. But as I said, life has been so hectic, so I'm doing it now. Um, It's been a hugely long time since I've released any solo material, so it's so nice to have something out again. The first single is called All Your Sorries and the second is called Home. You can stream them or buy them from wherever you normally do that um, they're under the name Saya Seja, S-E-J-A, and it's all released through It Records in Melbourne, who are amazing. Uh, I will do another update once I have a release date for the album, but I can tell you that it will be out this year and I'm super proud of it. Um, and I'm mainly just really proud that I've finished something after so long. So look out for new Seja stuff. Um, and speaking of new music, my guest today is the incredible Moju. Moju has a new album out called Oro Plata Mata. It's their fourth album and it is so good. Please go and listen to it immediately. We had a really lovely chat a couple of weeks ago just before the album was released. So they were in the throes of press and anticipation and we got to discuss the making of the album and its meaningful themes and contributors, um, which was really cool and I can't wait to share it with you. Moju's strange show story was illustrated Illustrated by my friend and friend of the podcast, Patience Hodgson from The Greats, who I've had the pleasure of playing with lately for a Brisbane World Science Festival. Um, and she's just pure joy and happiness. And I just love to have her involved in anything I'm doing. Um, so, this is a very funny story featuring another friend of the podcast mysterious Um, and it's a just a beautiful illustration Um, it's a representation of a vibe I would say Um, so quite abstract quite poignant and I love it As always, all illustrations for the podcast can be found on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Please send me a message on either of those two platforms if you would like to do a drawing. It's just for fun and maybe a good excuse to do something creative if you need an excuse. Um, But yeah, please get in touch if you want to do one. I love hearing from you. And thank you so much to everyone who's reached out to say that they missed the podcast and when am I doing it again? Uh, I just so, so appreciate it. You guys are all so lovely. So here's to hopefully more podcasts soon. Um, as always, I should say there's swearing in this one, so be careful if you don't like that kind of thing. Hi, Mum. And here it is, episode number 84 with the fantastic Moju. had a crazy day of press. Yeah, I've, I've been all over the place. I've been,
1: you know, just busy doing famous people stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a drag. I know. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's really nice that people want to talk about my music, which I feel always a bit humbled by and like. yeah i mean i think it's i
0: i don't take it for granted if anyone wants to listen to my music or talk about stuff that i've made you pour your fucking heart and soul into something you know of you course. kind of want it <laughs> you want it to land somewhere yeah definitely definitely
1: yeah you that's what you know you work for it and you want people to hear it so yeah you got to do the the um the hustle
0: yeah you got a dance monkey
1: this does not feel like that though. Oh, good. This, yeah, yeah. This is just hanging out. This is just hanging out.
0: Good, good. <laughs> um, I have to tell you something really funny. I when I first listened to your album, so your your publicist sent me your beautiful new album. Um, I had like a bunch of windows open on my computer, mm-hmm. and I'd actually just been watching um the My Witch video by our very clever mutual friend Jen Cloer, yes. and somehow it had started playing at the same time as your record was playing and I thought the whole thing was your record and I was like whoa Moju has made some really interesting bold musical choices (laughs) I'm so curious as to what that sounds like (laughs) it sounded like more experimental than I ever had thought possible how
1: great is that song though? Oh my god, I love
0: the song. And I love the video which you're also in and um everyone just
1: looks so fucking hot and cool. I know it was really um you know, I I was a bit unsure about it, but I, I you know, I thought the well, the things you do for art, like Jen's a friend. I suppose I can get into a hot tub with a bunch of babes. Eat some watermelon. Who doesn't like
0: watermelon? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um yeah I just I wanted to tell you that my like my first experience of listening to your new record I was like whoa (laughs) (laughs) that is some weird amazing shit what did did you
1: think once you (laughs) (laughs) once you figured out
0: (laughs) well I still I still have to say like it, the experimentation is still really out there and, and you know, a little bit less out there than the amalgamation of two songs that are completely disconnected from each other. But, um, you <laughs> know, I still think it's really, um, it's a really massive step forward and I think you should be so proud. It's amazing. Thank you.
1: Yes, I really um, I smoked a lot of weed during lockdown. <laughs> no, I... Um... <laughs> I you know, I really thought very hard about this and, and I just I I kind of poured everything into it and I and I felt like I'd finally reached a place where, you know, I really know who I am and what I'm trying to do and I think along the journey and I feel like a lot of people who are not AMAB um probably experienced this. Mm. Um where there's a lot of imposter syndrome and there's a lot of doubt and there's a lot of other voices sort of trying to push you this way or that way and so, you know, it sort of takes a little bit more effort to kind of trust yourself and I think that's where I finally got to with this record is I trust myself. That's so important to do and so difficult
0: because I think um, second-guessing yourself is in every artist's DNA unless you're a complete dick um <laughs> but i i feel like that second guessing thing is such a difficult thing to shake it definitely
1: is it definitely is but um you know and i've i've been in a lot of writing rooms or a lot of session rooms with um a lot of men who are seemingly very confident in their opinions mm. and and so um i think i've been in a session with giant dicks and yeah. they were dicks they were dicks um no but you know, it's just I. I think we just socialize so differently, and so yeah. You know, um, fortunately, and like and this time around, I'm collaborating with people that I have known and worked with for a really long time. But like, mm. I guess we've sort of deepened our um, collaborative relationship on this record, and it just actually felt so natural and just so good. It was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing all along so you know Henry Jenkins um, was kind of the head producer on this record and he is like a low-key genius <laughs> I don't throw that word around very often but, um, I am starting to think that he might actually be um, <laughs> It's he's really exceptional and of course Lewis Coleman who um, co-produced a number of tracks, Milan Ring who also co-produced one of the tracks, Milan and I worked really closely on Brand New World. Um, yeah. You know, I think there's some beautiful collaborators on this record and that is so, so much uh, what music's about for me anyway. It's like, I love that aspect of it.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about how you worked with those producers and like, like I said before, you've got this really sort of beautiful um, experimentation happening together. How do you even approach a song with these people?
1: (laughs) Well, there's lots of different ways that songs got approached on this record. Like some of them were voice memos that I made to myself years ago and then sort of got dug out and then, you know, a lot of the songs started as, you know, songs that I had written on my own and then kind of, required production and sort of handed them off then to other people to um, produce them from there and and obviously still very involved in the kind of conversation around um, arrangement and things, but, like, the actual technical job of producing is, like, well and truly beyond me and, like, a total mystery to me at times. Um, Other songs were songs that, you know, uh, Henry, for example, had – well, yeah, mainly Henry, had kind of written beats or chord progressions for and then I kind of top-lined on those and then we worked on arrangement and composition from there together as a unit. So it was very collaborative. You know, we were were throwing around a lot of references and kind of listening to a lot of the same things and discussing – you know, so there's, for example, you hear a lot of kulintang on the record, which is like a traditional uh, Filipino percussion instrument. And I really wanted to incorporate that. And so we were discussing this and listening to this and then Henry's kind of, you know, chopping that up in the MPC, which is just such a weird way to approach it. But we were in lockdown and we were doing a lot of this in isolation. So it was bouncing files back and forth. Um, Did you like play the percussion
0: live and then, sample it or did you just have sample? No we
1: had we we like a lot of it sampled so.
0: It's cool it actually does sound really acoustic but and I think it's because you're sort of like you're taking up the sonic space with these percussion vibes like yeah. I feel like you you sort of you can feel it all around you on some tracks and that makes it feel real like not a sample.
1: Yeah 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 it, do- it definitely is a really immersive kind of Mm. sonic experience and you know even in terms of composition like Henry and I were discussing we were listening to Puccini actually a lot we Mm. started talking about pop opera and sort of approaching composition in terms of like instead of like traditional pop songwriting structures like going oh maybe we could do it like in three movements instead of like a verse chorus verse or something like that you know so we were really like we were having pretty interesting conversations around how do you approach music and what are we trying to do here with this and what are we trying to say and and cuz it was such a heavy concept record for me yeah i just i had such strong ideas and opinions about which way i wanted it to go and and thankfully like you know everybody was just like really on board and so you start throwing i think i think when you have really um definite kind of parameters around what you're doing you actually inspire more creativity because when there's limitless possibilities, you're just kind of going, Oh, I don't know what to do because I could do anything. But when you're totally. like, no, it's going to be like this and these are the parameters. And then everybody starts throwing ideas around of like, Oh, well, cool. Well, you could do that with this or like, you know, this with that. And like, it's like, yeah, it goes crazy. I talk to artists about that all the time
0: in terms of like, you know, let's try and write a whole record in major chords. And then you come up with something so interesting, because you're putting that limit on yourself, I
1: wouldn't know what to do with a major chord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. You've got some majors. <laughs> no, I do. I just like you know really specialize in writing. Um, as I as I say, two kinds of songs: sad songs and horny songs. And that, you know, <laughs> sometimes they're sad and I horny at that. the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's the sweet
0: spot. Yeah, <laughs> you're saying the album is a a real concept album. So Oro Plata Mata, which means gold, silver, and death, and that concept of of threes and the never-ending sort of circle of threes. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the concept behind that?
1: Yeah, sure. So Oro Plata Mata is uh, – well, it comes from a Filipino superstition and it's an architectural superstition. So the belief is that you can't build things in multiples of three. Um So say, for example, if you're building a staircase, you would have to count the steps, oro, plata, mata, and you can't land on mata because mata means death. So Mm. um, that's sort of, that's that's the starting point for where we were going with this. But then I started looking at the number three and I was like, three is such an interesting number. It's such a power number. Like you've got, you know, you look at things like, that come in threes it's like um birth life death uh beginning middle and um father son the holy ghost you know um Mm -hmm. i don't know like there's just so many things that you can think of that seem really big this is this is the number three it's Mm. like i don't know it it just kind of kept coming up for me and um i was like how interesting how interesting what an important sort of seeming number and then you know i wanted to explore that and what can you do with threes and so we were like looking at you know chord progressions and and um and and you know structure like you know like i said before like movements you know three movements in a song rather and then and then sort of going okay well we're going to structure the album like it's in three parts each chapter like oro plata and mata and there's three songs in each chapter and and then there's an kind of an interlude or like a i guess it started as the idea was like more of like an overture You know, at the start of the album that kind of introduces some melodic ideas that are going to reoccur throughout the album. So initially I was kind of reluctant to um, sort of reveal this, but I think it kind of, it keeps coming up in terms of sort of explaining what I was trying to do. But So each interlude is a different approach to the same melody and that melody just happens to be the very last melody that I sing on the album. And mm. I really wanted that melody to be by the time you arrived at it, it's like, "Oh, there's something really familiar about this, And it's because you've already heard it several times throughout the record. But it's like, oh, the answer was always there. And then is the idea then to press play again, well, you know if you if you if you buy into the superstition
0: <laughs> then yeah, <laughs> I do
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, you got to start again. You know because the album it sort of starts with this you know the very first song oro gold and then it goes yeah oro goes into gold so they kind of like bleed into one another and mm. and and the i guess the kind of metaphor that i'm using or the image imagery that in the song is it's a it's a sunset and then there's this feeling i feel like throughout the middle of the album it's like you know, you kind of in the dead of night, and it's that's where all your fears are, and that's where all the kind of unknown, everything's hidden, and 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 you don't, you don't know. And then the, and then the very last song, Swan Song, you know, the imagery and and, and is all about sunrise, and that is meant to be. You know, this is this hopeful moment where you know maybe we can come out of this, maybe we can salvage this situation, and. And then that melody appears and it's like, oh, that, that was always there throughout the record, that we already knew that. We already we had that answer before.
0: I love that so much. I feel like that's such a conscious decision to make when you're making an album, that you're going to sort of drip feed this idea to the listener and then sort of have a reveal at the end. I love that so much.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, I loved it too. That's why I decided to do it. I thought it was good. Yeah,
0: <laughs> such a good idea. And then you've also um, mentioned a lot about the family connection, your uncle and and you can hear your aunt on the songs and then your brother's involved. And I'm always fascinated by that too because I've, I've made a lot of music with my brother. Um, I've never ventured out to, to make music with my extended family, but I just I find that so beautiful as well when you can involve your the people closest to
1: you yeah well look you know i i made this the the, i guess the kind of um catalyst for this idea this record was my tito peke my my uncle peke Galiaga was a quite a film famous filmmaker in the philippines and he passed away in 2020 and so my brother and i were having this conversation and my brother stevie we Uh, have collaborated quite a lot over the years he's sort of been my primary kind of bandmate my drummer um you know we've written lots of songs together we've toured extensively together and he's just recently taken like a hiatus from music but um around this time he was like you know maybe you should do something an homage to Tito Peke and I started thinking about it because you know I actually wasn't very close with him but um, I did, you know, was really fortunate to meet him a number of times and he was really generous and, and warm and kind to me. And But growing up, he was this person that I knew was like the one person in my family tree on my dad's side of the family that was creative. And I think my dad really struggled with how drawn to creative arts I was. And, like, I just, you know, it was really clear really early on that this was like this is what I'm going to do with my life. and. Wow. And it was just kind of a little bit, you know, frowned upon. It was like, mm, "It's not. That's not a job, though." And yeah. I was like, no, 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 it's a job, and and I can see because Tito Peke has made a whole career out of that, and like, so he was this person that I really kind of uh, aspired to be like, and and he really encouraged me. Um, so I was like, "Oh, that that it's a nice thing to to be able to do." um is That's to best. to honor to honor him in that way and then but you know to to do that I felt oh I must um get permission from Tita Maddie who's his wife I, I really want her blessing to do this and so I reached out to her and we just started having these conversations and we were like really getting into like in in communication a lot and I realized I I really like you a lot like can I you know, could I trouble you to maybe lend your voice to this record? Because I feel like it would be really special if, um, yeah, if you were part of this. And she, she agreed to it. She was a little reluctant. She was like, "Oh, you don't want an old woman's voice." And I was like, "I, I very much do," and I, th- <laughs> and I think it's, I think it's really right. And so we were so lucky to get to get her involved. And um you know, again, this was all happening like remotely from one another so she's in she's in the philippines
0: oh her voice is so vital to the whole energy because obviously it sort of opens with that her is it her saying or plata mata"? yeah um i think it's so beautiful it really sets the tone
1: yeah I, i i'm really um i think that it would have been a really different record if we hadn't been able to have her involved and yeah i'm so glad for that and I've since been over there to visit her, and she's heard the record, and she's really excited about it. And it's just yeah, does know, she loves it. She loves it, and I, and it just feels really right that you know we were able to do that together. So that That's yeah, so that yeah, that feels good.
0: Mm. I really um, I you know, you just said that when you were little, you always knew that you wanted to be in the creative arts can we talk a little bit about Little Moju and Mm. and what what you were into when you were young when you were like I want to do this do you remember (laughs) like what you were listening to or was there ever a moment where
1: you realized that's what you wanted to do I don't think there was like a one moment. I think I just came out singing and dancing. Like it was (laughs) (laughs) just singing horny songs from the beginning. Yeah. Well, there's this, there is actually, there's actually a picture that I can, I can send you, I will send you of me and I don't know how old I am, maybe like six or seven, maybe eight at the most. And I'm in a tuxedo and I've got my hair slicked back and I'm sitting at the organ in the back of my grandparents' house. Cute. And it's just really telling. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, that's what you were. That's, that's you, you for life. Do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my. For, there was a period of time where my dad was also really concerned about me because, like, I'd get in trouble or something, and he go, "You go to your room," and then I'd come out, and he'd be like, "I told you to go to your room," and I'd be like, "No, I'm Nicholas. So I'm some. Like, I'd be like somebody else. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> I just had a different name and a different <laughs> persona, and I was like." he's like all of you all of you go to your room (laughs) it's like really concerned that there was something not right um and i don't know it was just i think i i you know i think i was probably destined for something yeah it sounds (laughs) performing performing something and i don't know just grew up i grew up in a musical household yeah you did yeah yeah my grandparents my so my mom's parents are real jazz buffs there was like pretty much like billy holiday and louis armstrong were you know the patron saints of the household yeah um i think my 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 granddad's favorite um album was the jungle book so we you know we had that as kids we were like really into that great vibe yeah, it was a really good good vibe. My dad was into, like, Sly and the Family Stone and awesome. um, stuff like that. You know, Roy Orbison, stuff like that. And so, like, you know, rock and roll and funk and soul. And my mom was really into, like, Roberta Flack and Carole right. King and like the real singer-songwriters. So I feel like I got a nice kind of foundation, pretty broad spread of, like, good music. And then... I just, you know, I worked in a record store as a teenager, so I just spent all of my money at yeah. my job before I went home. Occupational like, hazard. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I was just I was just devouring music and any and all of it. And but who were your go to guys or gals
0: when you're a teenager or when, when I was a when teenager? You were like, yeah.
1: Whoa. Okay. Like I feel like right when I started high school so maybe around like 12 years old i discovered the violent Femmes. oh fuck yeah and i was really it was my older brother gave me a cd the self-titled album yeah the girl on the window um yep yeah, that blew my mind i was like this is so weird yeah and they're actually a bit shit but like great yeah. like the songs are, you know what i mean but it was like oh i can do that i can do that yeah you know what i mean it's like it's so punk and it's kind of ethos or something totally
0: yeah totally I have a similar story about the violent firms actually because I was bullied really badly in high school and my brother gave me that violent firms record and he was like you have to listen to kiss off because it's about all the coolest people in the world being bullied like he was basically like yeah you know the violent firms were bullied this song is about that and you know you should take their advice basically like to, you know tell everyone to fuck off and
1: and move on with your life and I was like yeah it's such a great it's such a great record and I I mean I was listening to that I was at, simultaneously I think I was like deeply into like boys to men <laughs> Yep. yeah like weird I was I was weird I was just like if it's good it's good I don't yeah. care boys to men 2 I think was the first record I bought with my own money loved like loved you 40 as a child yep <laughs> <laughs> um but then, like,
0: there's no like, shame in that. There's no shame. No, there's
1: not. I'm island about it. Island, <laughs> island vibes. Island vibes. I can talk to you about 1993. Great, great year for R&B. Um, <laughs> the Slits, like, I really, I went through a, you know, I went through that period of like, yeah, the kind of punk Un-croc. sort of, yeah, thing. So the Slits were a big one for me as a teenager, and um, I got to say, as far as Australian bands go, too. And I know, and I know this is part of your story, but The Gurge. Yeah,
0: they were a big influence on like every sort of alternative teenager in Australia,
1: I reckon. Massive. And and because they were so also so eclectic and yeah. to me that really, that appealed. But also it was like probably the first time I'd seen an Asian front person in a yeah. band and growing up Asian in this country, I was like, Dope. Yeah, I love you. That's so great.
0: That's so important, isn't it? When you see people that look like you and they're doing it, you're like, oh, I
1: could do it. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really big deal to me.
0: That's great. I love that 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 they did that for you. I think for me that I was like, Oh, you can be anything you want. You know, I started to get really into synthesizers when I was a teenager and Then they made Unit, and I was like, "Oh my god, they can do like hardcore, they can do rap, and now they can do this." And it was so
1: inspirational. Yeah, and
0: I I feel like that's your story too. Is like you like the Slits, you like Boys to Men, you like Regurgitator, (laughs) you've got it all covered. Yeah,
1: I mean, I just just (laughs) like music. I just like music, you know. And it's really hard. I think sometimes it's really hard for other people to like get their head around what I'm doing. (laughs) <laughs> but it's like I don't know I don't like I don't need I don't need you to <laughs> yeah
0: exactly exactly and obviously it's working like it's really reaching people you know you mean a lot to a lot of people that I've talked to
1: that's really nice to, to know
0: <laughs> you, you've made four records now they're all really different I think that's like such a amazing thing to see from a fan's point of view as well like someone progressing and someone being brave
1: yeah, well I feel like I would get bored otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like I just have always said I don't want to make the re- same record twice and I've learned a lot about making records in mm. a- in the last 10 years and and I feel like oh I'm st- I'm finally starting to I think I'm I think I might be um on this one, anyway, I'm like, I think I might be getting good at this. This is, yeah.
0: You are getting I mean, <laughs> arguably, I would say you are already good at this. But this album is like, yeah, I think it's it's so cool. I'm really excited that it's going to be out there super soon for you. Um, I bet you are
1: chomping at the bit (laughs) yeah I just want people to hear it things take so fucking long (laughs) I know I have been sitting on it for a minute but it's really great like we got to perform it with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra last week how was that oh my god it was so amazing to finally play these songs on stage and just cannot even tell you how incredible it is to perform with an orchestra oh wow what a trip and you're doing a a few of these shows aren't you in Melbourne as well and we're doing one with the MSO um, amazing. on March 17th, so I don't know when this comes out, but March 17th, yeah.
0: I feel like you have
1: to be a certain kind of
0: amazing to be able to play with an orchestra.
1: They're doing all the heavy lifting, like they're doing. They're all they're doing the hard work. I'm, I just get to stand at the front and tell jokes and occasionally sing. <laughs> but your can we talk about
0: like your voice? I guess what I meant with you have to be a certain kind of amazing is I, f- I feel like you have to be able to have a certain amount of control over your voice. You have to be a strong sort of presence in your like sonic voice um, area. That's the technical term for that. Um, I think that is and, the technical term. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, your, your voice is so clear and controlled. Have you always had that control over your voice is that something that um you've had training in or is it just your love of singing has gotten you to this
1: point I look I love singing I don't I don't always know if I'm good at it I there are times I've been through different stages I think at the moment I'm sounding all right I did study classical vocal training for a period of time and then I promptly um Threw all of that in the bin and <laughs> just spent a long time screaming in front of like loud punk bands, you know. Yeah. Um, and now I, and then I spent a lot of time repairing my voice and trying to heal all the damage that I'd done of years of like yelling, screaming, talking till all hours of the night, drinking, yeah. smoking, like all of it. And, and now I'm back to, oh, I think I've, um, I think I know how to take care of this thing. And, you know, human voice is probably my favourite instrument, really. Like I love – there's lots of instruments that I love, but voices are special. And particularly when you hear them together, like mm. – um, and there's something that happens. I think you – know, you know when you've got random facts and you're like, I, I cannot give you <laughs> any kind of – I've I d I don't know what the source of this information was, but I, <laughs> I feel like I've somewhere I've picked up this this idea that um there's something that happens in your brain, like the same chemicals are released in your brain when you're singing harmony with other people or singing in unison with other people as when you're giving birth. Like obviously not Whoa. to the same degree, but it's like it's like this human bonding thing, like there's a connection that happens that's wow. on a really chemical kind of and that could be totally false. Yeah. It <laughs> could be f- totally false information that I've just given <laughs> you, but I like to believe it because I want to believe that too. <laughs> because there is something about it that just is like, "Oh." So I mean, I'm right now I have, you know, on stage uh, there's kind of seven of us in the band. Yeah. Um and does everyone sing? So there's I've got um Michael Wallace on drums and Henry Jenkins on bass and they don't sing. But mm-hmm. Lewis Coleman on keys is singing. Um Milan Ring on guitar is singing and then we have two dedicated um vocalists, McCleet Cabret and Cella. I don't know if you know Cella. I don't Amazing think so. pop songwriter. Incredible pop songwriter. They're all in- talented in musicians in their own right they've all got their own projects and stuff but i get to have them be part of my band for certain times of the day and i love it like singing you know so there's like there's really like five of us singing on stage yeah and it's beautiful it's so nice to do that with other people
0: that's really cool I'm so glad that you're getting to sing with a group of people as part of your show because um you do use voice a lot as an instrument just percussion and and voice and it's so powerful
1: yeah I think it's the you know so much of music is about and I know that you can do this with any instrument but um you know it's it's about the human experience and it's about distilling emotion and kind of what better thing to do that with than your own body? Totally. But I think also
0: like something that's unique about you is that you're singing from the heart and the storytelling aspect of your songs are often deeply personal. You're not covering it in metaphors, which is something that's actually quite unique. I feel like there's not that many artists that can do that without feeling too vulnerable. Do you ever feel like, it makes you nervous that you're sharing things about your you know your personal life or your inner inner feelings when you're writing these songs
1: that are so deeply poignant i think i think yes and no but like with anything you've got to give some to get some back you know and that's what we're trying to do is connect that's what i'm trying to do anyway there's like and you know some of my favorite poets in music you know like some of my favorite lyrics and um I'm talking about like people like Frank Ocean as Mm. much as like Tom Waits and Paul Kelly, they find poetry in the mundane though and that to me is like, oh, it's just the like little bits of life that are happening and they they find a way to like see the beauty in it Mm. but then like completely flip within a couple of bars and then there's like deep metaphor. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so clever and I really – I guess that's kind of the school of songwriting where, you know, I sort of kind of learnt or like came out of that kind of going, I want to be a lyricist. Like that's important to me. To write lyrics is important. And then, you know, um, at the other end of that, you've got the really wildly emotional. Like I was just today um, talking to someone else about, you know, Jacques Brel. Do you know the song Namakita Pa? I don't think so. And... and Nina Simone does a really beautiful version of it, but it's a um Belgian
0: Oh check it out. Uh,
1: songwriter and in in French and there's a line in there. It's like it's so it's, it's so tragic and like really like uh so I think the line translates as I would uh, I'll be your dog. I'll be the shadow of your dog. And it's just like if someone actually said that to you in real life, you'd be like, call the cops. But <laughs> it's in music you yeah. can go to the depths of emotion that you could never explore yeah you know like you know what i mean it's like yeah, of you course. can also you can also be right, really hyperbolic and just like uh this is how i feel and i'm you know really over the top but to sing it um i think it's understood that that is just like an you know monologue and it isn't really how we can function out in the world <laughs> together yeah no um, but it,
0: you're right it, it is an opportunity to kind of get your feelings out and hopefully it doesn't come back to bite you but I also think that it is to me quite scary if I'm singing something deeply personal and then you have to talk about it you know <laughs> yeah
1: yeah most certainly and i think that i went through that a lot on native tongue like i think prior to that like if you say you look back at like my first record right and i don't think a lot of people got this about what i was trying to do on that record it's like you know people are like oh it's kind of like you know this bluesy loungy kind of weightsian sort of thing mm. and it's like yeah sure but what it to me was i love that genre i love noir i love noir films i love Noir fiction, and it's a space that has never, like, it's a genre that's never made space for people like me. Mm. You know, like, there's no queers in those stories, really. Yeah. There's no people, like, people of color are relegated to, like, the kind of, you know, uh, they're criminals or they're in service roles, and it's not, they're not at the forefront. No one, they're not the heroes of those stories and you know and it's really and it's often really misogynistic and so to me it was about subverting the whole genre yeah and kind of allowing myself to be like the protagonist yeah inserting yourself into something where you're the hero in in this genre I think that's really cool yeah so it was like for me it was that and it's like sure it's like it reads like fiction but it wasn't there's still real observations about human condition. I was falling in and out of love, and like, you know, I was living a certain kind of lifestyle. That yeah, you know, it's just the way that you know the lens that I was viewing it through was like really deeply romantic in in the context of that record. Um, in a you know, kind of this noir sort of fantasy, and it was like, okay, it's still it's still real. It's no less of authentic authentic and i think that's what people sort of didn't get about what i was doing it's like oh it's like you're playing a character and i was like well not my- yes and no yes and no i'm 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 doing it with a purpose and that is to subvert this genre but it is still a very real mm. emotion at the core of what i'm saying then you know i did something like native tongue which everybody was like whoa oh you're so it's so authentic and i'm like yeah i resent that because because it's always been authentic to me and but at the same time I'm an entertainer. So what is the fixation with authenticity that kind of gets projected onto like there's this expectation that often gets projected onto um people of colour. Often women like a lot of a lot of women are expected to be authentic in their music, but men can be like David Bowie no one's asking David Bowie if Starman's authentic yeah. to you know, it's but yeah. it's like, oh but you you know or you know, like if if Nick Cave really was killing people when he wrote murder ballads. Yeah, they're
0: not asking him about his conviction.
1: Yeah, it's like, mm, but that's still considered art. This, you know, Nick Cave's a national treasure. It's um, it's really interesting to me that there's that. So, but I think that's
0: what I was trying to say is like I think that with Native Tongue that you were. I wouldn't say forced to talk about, but you were definitely asked a lot about identity politics and, you know, gender and, you know, you talked openly about mental health at that time and you were almost like, I don't know, I felt like you were almost like a spokesperson
1: for all of those things. and Which I really never, ever wanted to be and I still don't want to be. I never set out to be that and it's like I can only speak on behalf of myself, really. I'm not... Equipped. I'm not equipped, and I'm and I'm I'm certainly non-authority to speak on behalf of anyone else. Well, I and think that that's that's the same with anything. It's
0: like if you've met one queer person, you've met one queer person, and you know their experience <laughs> only. Like, or you know, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one
1: autistic person. Everyone has different experiences. You've met one First Nations person. You've met one. Yeah, and it's when we are not a monolith and there's all these different intersecting parts of my identity that make my experience completely different to other people. Absolutely. And at the same time, it's a really universal thing. But what I think I kind of learned unfortunately like the hard way with that record was that when you're speaking about trauma and people want want you to relive that trauma every time you talk about the record right so it's like uh okay i've sort of had enough of talking about this record and and it really because there's so much family because there's so much family history on that record Mm. my family were also sort of reaching a point where they're like can you not talk about this in the the morning like this is this is a lot but um that record, if it had come out 12 months before or if it had come out 12 months after, I don't think it would have had the same impact that it had. I think it came out a period of time, like just in this moment and it, there was this, this was like real zeitgeist moment and there was a bigger conversation happening and I just so happened to make a record purely by accident in the middle of that and then it got caught up in that conversation.
0: Yeah, about your experience, which was something that was uniquely yours yeah. but somehow people latched onto it. Yeah.
1: And so there were a lot of people from all different sides of, Mm. you know, the political fence, like kind of who were mad at me about that record. And then there was also I would say ninety percent, if not more, ninety five percent of the people who were like, you know, really embraced it and really embraced the story I was telling and, and kind of related. But I think there was just like this, you know, there was definitely people who we were like, well, you can't speak on behalf of me. And I'm like, I'm not trying to. And then there were people who were like, if you don't like it, fuck off. You know, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, okay, you know, like, yeah, I wasn't really – like, I was literally just talking about my own experience. Yeah, of, you're sort of stuck in the middle of the
0: political battlefield. <laughs> that,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it was – I so mean, crazy. it was just like – I was actually just, re- I was just talking about my family and my personal experience and I really didn't think anyone was going to pay attention but all mm. of a sudden I'm in this big conversation and it, um, it was a real learning curve, I yeah. guess. Yeah,
0: I mean I hope that wasn't too exhausting and I really hope that this record you get to talk about all the beautiful things about your family and you get to talk about, you know, the fact that you you're a parent and that you you know like all these beautiful things have happened um, as as part of the making of this record, I hope that it's um, you know emotionally a little bit more of a smooth ride for you. <laughs> well, so far it's
1: been great. So far, I really love that everyone seems to want to talk about the actual music. Yeah. And also, like, people are really willing to go along for the ride is what I'm right. trying to say. People are really willing to go along with, like, okay, this is, like, a really interesting concept and, like, how did you get there? It's also rare to
0: get a piece of art as a whole. The single Change Has to Come was its own thing, but I think that it really slots into the whole lineage of the the album. Like, I think it's a really beautiful piece of art from beginning to end and it, that's like also really unusual these days. I feel like albums are so like just a mishmash of shit being thrown together these days and, and you need a radio single and you need this and you need that. But I feel like yours is really well thought out as a from beginning to end
1: project. Thank you. Thank you. And I feel like I really, I really appreciate that. I think part of it for me was like, you know, I probably couldn't have done it if I – Something like Igor hadn't come out in 2019. Mm. Like that album was really like, like I've always been down for a concept record. Like I've always got like a overarching theme on anything that I'm doing. But for me, it was like, oh, this is really well executed. This is really like, it's a really clear concept record. And there is a narrative that has a beginning, middle and an end. And it, and it feels really whole. And to me, that just was like the most thrilling thing I'd heard in popular music for like ages. So I was like, oh, this is actually really achievable to do within this format. And totally. yeah, I I do hate that. Like I love an album. I want to hear an album start to finish. I get frustrated when a little bit like when albums don't sound like albums, you know, they sound like mixtapes and if it's a mixtape and you call it a mixtape, that's one thing. But if it's, (laughs) if it's an album and it's like, Oh, this doesn't feel like an album to me. Like what's the story here? Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I get a bit confused. And so.
0: Yeah, I get um, that too. And, and very noticeably yours was an album, which was lovely. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I was, um, texting with our friend Jen earlier today and um i told jen that i was going to be interviewing you and she said you should ask them about when they interviewed her <laughs> for your radio show <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, okay <laughs> yes. do you want to know this story i can tell you a story about jen cloa yes i would love to hear it but a i've story got to tell it from, i've got to tell it from the start and the start the start is that as a young kind of a uh, budding young, you know, musician in the in the Melbourne music scene, and I must have been around, you know, twenty or something. And I and I first met Jen, and um, we hung out a few times. We jammed, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we were, we were kind of mates. And um, there was someone in the scene. I'm not going to name names, but this person was a little bit of a bully towards me, and and we happened to be at a gig, and um, and I'd told Jen that this person was being really unkind to me and sort of, you know, blocking me a little bit from getting gigs and like, mm. you know, and really, really not nice. And Jen picked up a flyer in the venue and turned and made it into a paper aeroplane and then threw the paper aeroplane onto the stage while this person was singing <laughs> and uh, and was like, go on, you do it. And I was like, oh, no, I couldn't. And Jen really encouraged me. And so I was like, all right. <laughs> and I don't even think this person who was singing even noticed what was going on. It was yeah. a very crowded bar. And so I did it as well. And then that was that. But there were two – and there were two ladies in the bar that were very unimpressed. They were like – got quite mad at us. But we were like, you know, thought we were giggling to ourselves or whatever. Yeah. And so – and then, you know, harmless I don't know Harmless Harmless fun. And then a, a little while later, you know, it was a few months later and I was doing a gig at this venue that I was really excited to play at and I was kind of launching like a little self-made kind of, you know, EP, mm-hmm. like a really small run of, uh, of an EP. And I, But I was launching this thing and and it was pretty good turnout. Like it was pretty packed in there and I, was, I felt good about myself. And I'm on stage and then this paper airplane comes sailing onto the stage. <laughs> and I was like... Jen Cloers, in the room. that's so <laughs> awesome I was like and I was so I was so chuffed I was yeah. like oh my mate my mate Jen is here so you know some time passes and I've relocated to Newcastle and I've got a radio show it's my first ever time I have no idea what I'm doing but it was yeah uh, this is this is not radio mm-hmm. like a, um public radio station and i had a and i had a radio show and i'd never interviewed anyone before and i saw that jan clower was coming to town and she was playing at the uni bar on the hill newcastle university yep. uh, and it was like i think it was like o week or something so it was oh, like yep. trashy it was like you know probably <laughs> a really horrible place yeah, to play i know that um, vibe <laughs> and i was like okay i'm gonna organize this and so i asked the radio station i'd like to interview jen Chloe. so they teed it all up and then i borrowed a mini disc player from or like a mini disc yeah from my friend and never Mm. used a mini disc before but she was like this is how you do it and everything and uh and you know you go and record the interview so i go out to the uni bar on the hill and jen's on stage and i thought you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a paper airplane yes. at her. she's gonna know it's me she's gonna know it's me i haven't seen her in years you know it's it's gonna be great because to me that moment had really meant something yeah
0: that's your thing and
1: yeah it was our thing so i threw a paper airplane at jan and nothing no reaction oh so i made another paper airplane and i threw a paper airplane at her and can see she's kind of looking annoyed like she's oh, not no. having a good time on stage oh, no. i'm like oh okay And I may have thrown one more and I just, you know, and eventually I was just like, I'm just going to give up. I don't think she's getting the gag here. And then I went backstage with my little mini disc player prepared to um, do this interview and Jen comes into the dressing room and she's not in a good mood and she's talking to her band and she's like, oh, that was just like, you know, that wasn't a good show. The vibe was really off. And some fuckwit was throwing paper (laughs) airplanes at me. I'm not sure if that was the exact word she used. Some dickhead was throwing oh, paper no. airplanes at me. And I was like, oh, no. That was me. She did not know it was me. I thought that was our thing. Obviously, it was not our thing. Now I feel like an <laughs> idiot. She's, she's having a really bad time. And then she sits down and she's like, I can tell she's like having a hard time shaking the vibe from yeah. on stage. Yeah. And I can't confess at the time that it was no. me throwing the paper airplanes. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And I get there. And I'm set up and I'm ready to do my interview and I've got my list of questions and I can't get the fucking mini display to work. No. Like I just can't get it to work. But I was so, so embarrassed and I felt like I'd offended her by throwing the paper airplanes even though she didn't was me. And I was like, I didn't want to waste her time. But also I just couldn't bring myself to admit that I couldn't make the mini display work. So I did the entire interview knowing full well (laughs) that none of it was being recorded. Oh, my God, I love that so much. And then I just left with my tail between my legs and it took me, I don't know, maybe another 10 years to tell Jen (laughs) the truth about that story.
0: Oh, that's the best. And I imagine she would have thought that was really, really funny 10 years later. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I I think she really appreciated it. I'm not how sure how much she would appreciate it at the time. No. But in hindsight, I think she thought that was pretty good. It felt like you made the right
0: call. You couldn't have confessed and you just had to go through with the task at hand, even if it wasn't
1: actually happening. <laughs> well, I look, it made, for a much better, it made for a much better story years, years <laughs> later.
0: I love that so much. <laughs> and now I feel like... You've already told a brilliant story. Well, if you want to, I ask my guests the same question at the end of every podcast, which is, what's your strangest show experience? That was an amazing one. If you have any others, I'd be happy to hear any others or we can leave it at that. It's up to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to top that. It's so great. I'm so glad
0: that I texted Jen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, hey I'm so excited that we got to do this thank you so much for taking the time and your very busy press day oh no not at all I had fun
1: it was really lovely. <laughs>